Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to talk to Christina Us. Uh, she's the author of the middle-grade novel, The Adventures of a Girl Called Bicycle. And we're going to talk about two books that she loves. Uh, the first is Lizard Music by Daniel Pinkwater, and the second is The Trolls, written by Polly Horvath. I'm occasionally asked where I find the the different people I interview for Dream Gardens, uh, and it really does vary. Uh, oftentimes, I'll find authors who are members of the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators, uh, which I belong to myself. Uh, sometimes a request will be sent to me uh, asking if somebody could participate on the podcast. And and sometimes I'll just pull a book off the shelf at my local library. I'll read it and think, that's a person I'd like to have on the podcast. And then I'll ask them. And that certainly was the case with today's guest, uh, Christina Us, as well as several others. Now, if you have an idea of someone you think would make a good guest, uh, go to the contact page on my website, jleemott.com, and let me know, and I will try. Now, because we're talking about two books today, I'm going to read two poems as well. Uh, they're both from the poetry book Autumblings, written and illustrated by Douglas Florian, and they each deal with our mixed feelings about the fall. Uh, Douglas Florian's other poetry books for children are Beast Feast, Lizard Frogs and Pollywogs, and Mammalabelia. What I love about autumn. Apple picking, frisbee flicking, falling leaves, bracing breeze, flying kites, cool crisp nights, trick or treat, sweets to eat, pumpkin pies, clear blue skies, fireplaces, relay races, football games. I love that autumn has two names. What I hate about autumn. Summer's done. Not much sun. Back to school. Air's too cool. Winds that gust. Rains that rust. Chilly nose. Woolen clothes. Birds don't sing. I hate that autumn's far from spring. My guest today is Christina Us, author of the middle grade novel The Adventures of a Girl Called Bicycle. You can find Christina's website at www.christinaus.com. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Christina. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. As I mentioned, uh, this book of yours, The Adventure of a Girl Called Bicycle, which I did have a chance to read and enjoyed uh, quite a bit. Uh, can you talk a li little bit about uh, what the book is, uh, what it's about? Sure. It's the story of a 12-year-old girl who decides uh, she's going to ride her bicycle across the United States. I mean, how hard could it really be? She's a good cyclist, and she's got a trusty bicycle. And the reason why she gets inspired to go on this journey uh, is partly to avoid something and partly to go towards something. She's going to be sent to the dreaded friendship factory for the summer. Her guardians at the mostly silent monastery have decided she's a little too silent for a 12-year-old and she needs to go learn how to make friends with kids her own age. And boy, does she not want to go to the friendship factory. But she realizes uh, she it would be a good idea to try to make a friend and she sets her sights on making friends with her all-time bike racing hero, Zbigniew Shenkevich. And she has to reach San Francisco, California from Washington, D.C. to meet him and 
get him to believe that he should be her first friend. So she takes off and decides that's what she's going to do this summer. And where did you get the idea uh, for this book? It all began with the title. So before I wrote the book, uh, I was writing for newspapers and magazines about travel, especially about bicycling adventures, which is something I, I have had a few of my own. And uh, I was at the library with my husband, and I was in the middle grade children's section picking out books for myself to read, because I didn't have children at the time. And he was watching me pick up uh, probably some Daniel Pinkwater and the Phantom Tollbooth. And he said, so you, you still read children's books? I'm like, everybody should still read children's books. Nobody ever outgrows children's books. And he said, someday you're going to write a children's book. And I said, oh, yes, what's the title of this mysterious children's book I'll, I'll eventually write? And he said, I think it's going to be called The Adventures of a Girl Called Bicycle. And I grabbed him by his shirt and I said, oh, hold everything. Whatever that book is, I need to write it. You know, why is she called Bicycle? What are her adventures? I think she rides her bike across the country. I said, let's go home right now. And I started writing the minute I got to my computer. Really, just just a title is all you had, and everything uh, came out from there. Everything just bloomed from there, and I really feel like as soon as I knew there was this girl called Bicycle, I knew she she <laughs> was a stubborn person who was very had an independent streak who would just make up her mind about something and do it. Yes, it really sprung from there, and I will say titles do inspire me. I keep I keep a list of title ideas and sort of want dream about the books that might go along with those titles. Now, this is a story of a, a road trip she takes really across the, the United States. And I'm wondering how much of it was inspired by your own travels. I know you're a, a bicyclist yourself. Was it uh, taken from places you visited yourself? I know a lot of it is, you know, the, the plot of it is, is, is fantastic, you know, like a bicycle um, being haunted by a ghost and things like that. Mm. Uh, but uh, how much of it uh, was inspired by your own travels? It was very much inspired by my own trip. Uh, so my character is starts out in Washington, D.C., and when I took my first trip across country, I also started in Washington, D.C., and it was a group ride. It was not me taking off by myself when I was 12. It was a group of uh, college students that Habitat for Humanity organized a ride every year that you would fundraise and bring awareness to the jobs that Habitat for Humanity did. And we rode from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco. So when I knew I had a character that wanted to take off across the country, I thought, well, if she goes on the same route that I went on, I'll be able to give readers a really strong sense of place. And I, I will know what it feels like to see the Rocky Mountains for the first time. And what one might think uh, when you're riding along in Virginia and these endlessly rolling hills and you feel like you're just counting cows and wondering when you're going to get where you're going. Uh, so I went back to my journal that I'd kept during that ride and all of my photographs and kind of tried to relive many of those experiences and, and thought, all right, which one of these impressions that I have is something that my character Bicycle will also have? Because she and I are not the same person. We have different ways of looking at things, but it felt great to be able to bring stuff in that uh, I really knew was real. And I hoped that readers would feel that sense of, yes, the story is out there, but it has a lot of real facts and experiences underpinning it. Now, for readers who get a hold of your book and enjoy it, um, are there other things in the works 
that you have that uh, they can look forward to? There are. I'm glad you asked. I'm just in the middle right now finishing copy edits on uh, a book that will come out in spring of 2020. And that one is called The Colossus of Roads, R-O-A-D-S, like roads you drive on. Uh, It's a whole new set of characters. This one, the main character is uh, a boy growing up in LA who has one talent, and that is understanding traffic. It's kind of a strange talent for an 11-year-old boy. Uh, And some things start to go wrong with his life. He's very easily carsick. He's got a very wobbly stomach. And he's going to try to fix all the things going wrong with his family and his his life with the only thing he understands, uh, which is the mighty power of road signs and traffic signs. And he falls in with some sort of secret society of some grandparents. And the bicyclists in that book, unfortunately, they're kind of on the side of evil. They're working against my main character. So they're still bicyclists, but a whole different view of things. And you said this is coming out in the spring of 2020? Uh, yes, we don't have a publication date yet, but soon. So within a year from now, it should be on the shelves. So I really hope people enjoy that as much as Bicycle. Well, I, I will uh, look forward to um, to reading that when that comes out. Thank you. Now, the two books uh, you picked, you picked two books uh, as uh, your some of your favorite uh, kids' books. Uh, they're Lizard Music by Daniel Pinkwater, which was first published in 1976, and The Trolls by... Polly Horvath, which was first published in 1999. I thought we'd start with uh, Lizard Music. Um, now, Daniel Pinkwater is always a, kind of a challenge to try to summarize one of his uh, books. But uh, for readers who might not have had a chance, do you want to try to give an idea of what this book is about? Sure. I, I don't think I'll do any spoilers by telling <laughs> a bit about it. So uh, it's the story of Victor, a boy who's living in a a little suburb of a town that Daniel Pinkwater writes about a lot called Hogborough. And he uh, is left alone, left on his own for a couple of weeks in the summer. His parents leave on a trip. They leave his older sister to take care of him, and she takes off on a trip of her own. Victor is not bothered by this at all. He's a very independent kid. He even says, you know, I'm 11 going on 12. I can take care of myself. So he figures out a schedule and he's realizing he can stay up and watch the news because he loves watching Walter Cronkite. And he can have some adventures while nobody's there to bother him. And he ends up taking a trip into Hogborough. And, uh, well, he actually stays up late first watching TV and sees uh, lizards playing music on TV after the late movie. And he finds the music to just be really pleasant and kind of hypnotizing. He sees it two nights in a row, and he starts seeing lizards everywhere and information about lizards everywhere. He runs into someone called the Chicken Man, who seems to be encouraging his interest in lizards and the lizard music. And he finds out there's something going on with these hyper-intelligent lizards that he's going to get a chance to meet them and learn more about them. And so it's a, a very unusual little adventure. And when I picked up this book when I was, I believe, I, in fact, I can remember, it was fourth grade. I remember being in the library, and my mother, who is one of the most terrific people ever, was always recommending books to me and finding books on the shelves and handing them to me. This was a book I found by myself, that I just saw this thing with the title Lizard Music, 
And just based on the cover, I thought, I'm bringing this home. And when I read it, I thought, do adults know about this book? Like, does anyone, was I the first one to discover this book? And it really made me feel that uh, Daniel Pinkwater knew something that a lot of other people weren't telling me. And I, and I was a, well, they think they would have said I was a good student. You know, I, I worked hard and learned whatever they told me to. But lizard music felt like, like I was tuning into a channel that was just slightly to the left of the, the normal universe that everyone was telling me like, you know, you're going to go to school and work hard. And then Daniel Pinkwater saying, and by the way, there's a lizard floating off or there's an island floating off the coast of the U.S. that sometimes floats close enough that you can pick up the radio signals and television signals of hyper-intelligent lizards. And he says it so just matter-of-factly, like if you just get the chance, you'll see it too. Uh, it blew my mind. And then I had to read everything else he'd ever written. Hmm. Now, you mentioned uh, Victor is the main character. He's like a lot of Daniel Pinkwater's characters, no matter how off-the-wall things get. Um, he's never two-phased. He might be a, a little put off, but he never two-phased and always keeps pushing forward for to find out what's going to happen next. And I don't know if you got that same impression of Victor. I agree. He's weirdly down-to-earth, yet willing to sort of accept that, yeah, you know, there, there are lizards and I can meet them. And I loved that. I think a, an essential thing about all of Daniel Pinkwater's writing is this sort of matter-of-factness about weird things. And he adds, uh, this is something that inspired my own writing. There are so many bits in his books that are facts, uh, that are real things. For example, Victor loving Walter Cronkite. And now I remember watching Walter Cronkite in the news when I was reading this book. So I'm like, oh, okay. So this is taking place in a world that I am familiar with. And it's funny, in this book, I could have sworn it took place in New Jersey, which is where I lived when I read it. And I think I just got the impression, I'm like, well, this takes place in, in New Jersey, not far from where I live. I just sort of decided that. And that just the fact the character sort of, as things go along, he's just accepting the way that kids do. You know, if you come and say, hey, by the way, there's there's this thing we haven't told you about yet, and now we're going to tell you about it. And that's, we just, as kids, sort of absorb new things. That's part of our job. And when grownups are telling you about, you know, stuff that seems maybe a little outlandish, well, you're like, well, all right, I just haven't heard about this yet. Now, one of the strange persons that he encounters is, as you mentioned, uh, this man called, or one of his names anyway. One is, of his names. It's the Chicken Man. So what are we to make of this person who sometimes calls himself the Chicken Man? Right? The Chicken Man is... He is quite the character because he's not, he doesn't treat Victor sort of with kid gloves. He's definitely, the chicken man just is himself from the minute you meet him. He, um, we know him first as the chicken man because he shows up on a bus <clears throat> and people call him the chicken man, takes off his hat and there's a chicken underneath named Claudia and she comes out and she can do various tricks. And Claudia is a very important character that she's the one who can lead them towards the island of the lizards. And the chicken man it just seems to think like he understands what Victor needs and what's going to be good for Victor. And sometimes he's uh, Victor is really just put off by some of the things he's asked to do, like uh, going in a rapidly sinking raft and then diving under the barrier to get to the 
Island of the Lizards. But I liked that as a, as a child reader, and I still, when I read it, I go back to being a child reader. I liked that the Chicken Man, also known as Charles Swan, also known as Hubert Van Eyck, all these names, uh, sort of just shows up and is completely himself and doesn't treat Victor like like a child, like somebody who d- couldn't understand what's going on. He treats him like someone who absolutely should be part of what's going on. Now, this is the, the second Daniel Pinkwater book I've done a podcast about. And I'll ask the question I asked about the other book. The other book was the Hoboken Chicken Emergency. Um, is there some profound hidden meaning uh, hidden away and all this kind of craziness this goes on or is asking a question like that uh, about a Daniel Pinkwater the wrong sort of question to ask I love that question because I did hear that on the other podcast and when I come back to Daniel Pinkwater's books I I think I I never do look for those grand sort of I, I, what would we call them? Just sort of not, not even lessons, but just they are sort of crazy stories. And to me, their meaning is that these stories could very well happen to you. That's what I always felt as a kid. Like if you're only paying enough attention and you meet the right person at the right time, anything can happen. And uh, that's that's what I continue to draw from them. Uh, so we could call that maybe the the lesson I draw from. Pinkwater's books, and I'm not sure uh, as an as an author is there um, an insp- from the particular way that he tells a story that you've uh, drawn inspiration from. I I really do. I I am hoping at some point someone reads the Adventures of a Girl Called Bicycle or any of my other stories and says I can really hear the Pinkwater in you. <laughs> uh, my mother said that at one point. I'm like, oh, I love you. And the thing that I come back to you. Sometimes when I'm writing, I lose the thread and I'll think I've been working on this same passage or chapter for weeks and I no longer know why I'm writing it or who I'm writing it for. And I sort of need to to breathe and like tune into that that channel. And I might need to go back and reread something like Blizzard Music and say, oh yes, I remember. I want to give readers that same sense I had of the world is a lot weirder than you realize in the best possible way. And I want to draw them in with facts and draw them in with things that they say, well, I know that's true and I know that's real and she didn't make that up. So maybe these other parts, maybe they aren't made up either. And so I I try to keep that, I try to not go off the rails completely into absurdity, but just keep it on the edge where it makes readers wonder could that really happen? Did that really happen? So that's that's what I draw on, and and I hope to reproduce when I write as well. Is there a particular passage from the book that you'd like to share? I would. So I just just been rereading because again I've been writing, so I needed to kind of go into the book, uh, and I was marking several passages. In fact, I think the one I would like to read now is when Victor has he's trying to understand he's seen the television show with these uh, human-sized lizards playing music. He's seen it a couple of times. And so he decides he's going to find out what is this band, and he, he calls up the radio station. I dialed the TV station, a lady answered. 
I'd like to ask some questions about the programs on your station last night, I said. Please hold on, the lady said. Then a man's voice said, may I help you? Did you have a program with lizards late last night? Animals of the World featured lizards. It was broadcast at 7.30. Was there another program, a music program, with lizards late at night after the late movie? Our last program was the late movie, Invasion of the Pod People. After that, there were some public service messages, a moment of inspiration, and we went off the air. Off the air? Yes. Turned off the lights, locked the doors, went home, off the air. One other question. Does Roger Mudd ever have a lizard on his shoulder when he does the news? Click, bzzz. The man had hung up on me. I can't say I blamed him. He probably thought I was a nut. Anyway, I'd found out that the TV station wasn't broadcasting the lizard band, but I had seen them. There were several possibilities. One, I was crazy, or I had imagined lizards. But as I said, I don't go in for imagining things. Besides, I didn't feel crazy. Two, the lizards were getting into the TV station after it closed, turning everything on, and putting out their own program. That sounded a little far-fetched, but lizards who can play clarinets and saxophones might be capable of anything. So that's, I love that how that in that passage, Victor's like, well, I could be crazy, but I don't think so. It's more likely one of these other explanations is true. I think there are basically two kind of, re- I mean, there's readers who either buy into Daniel Peakwater's novels or they don't at all. And I don't think there's a middle ground there. <laughs> I agree. And I have found that with, with my book, The Adventures of a Girl Called Bicycle, um, I've had a really great response. A lot of readers do enjoy it. Um, and as yet, I have not met a young reader who told me they didn't enjoy it, but I have met adult readers who said, I just could not buy some of the fantastical elements. And I said, well, okay, you know, there was nothing I probably could have done to entice you to enjoy my book because that was a big part of it. Adults do seem to have more trouble with uh, things, fantastic things happening in books than children do. I I guess so. I feel sorry for them a little bit because it is so much fun to wonder what could be true. And I will say when I do school visits, uh, I have so much fun where I'll tell the kids, I'm going to tell you two stories and you have to guess which one I made up and which one came from a real experience that I had. And I love when the kids get fooled or they can't make up their minds. Um, uh, it's, it's the best ever. Cause I really feel like I, maybe I've nudged that door and maybe it'll stay open for them into adulthood where they're just never quite sure what's possible and what really could happen out there in the world. And speaking of telling stories, the other book you uh, picked is uh, The Trolls uh, by Polly Horvath, which is another uh, difficult book to summarize. I mean, in many ways, I I could say the plot of the story is three children are watched by their aunt while their parents are away, and she tells them stories about her family. Uh, But obviously, it's a lot more than just that. Um, So how would you describe this book to somebody who hasn't had a chance to read it? Well said. Well, you you I did you did summarize it well, but of course it doesn't let people know the level of weirdness, correct? <laughs> so, how would I summarize it? So when Aunt Polly comes to take care of the three children and they've never met her before, and she begins to tell them stories of their father's life growing up on Vancouver Island in Canada, they never could have dreamed some of the stories that made up their father's childhood. And they don't know what to believe is true or not, but they know they enjoy hearing Aunt Polly tell the stories. And I picked up this book 
because I'd read something else by Polly Horvath that also just I, I enjoyed so much. It was just so off the wall. And this one, so if I just looked at the chapter headings, and it's a, a shorter, shorter book. Um, each chapter is a story kind of unto itself, which is something I love and we don't see as often, I think. I, I feel like I used to read more books like this as a child where each chapter you kind of could feel satisfied at the end. It wasn't a cliffhanger necessarily. You'd think, well, I, I heard a good story today, you know, and I can leave off and come back tomorrow. So she, I looked at the, the chapter titles and there was one called Fat Little Mean Girl and another called Maud Who Shot 80 Cougars and the one called Clam Bite. And I just thought, well, I really want to know what those chapters are about. Um, and each one is Aunt Polly, who's being... Is, I'm it, sorry, is yes. it Aunt Polly or Aunt Sally? Oh my gosh, sorry. It is Aunt Sally. Let's go back and say that, Aunt Sally. That's exactly right. And I have it right here in front of me. So when Aunt pa Polly comes... Sorry, Aunt <laughs> Apparently, I think she should be named Polly. When Aunt Sally comes and start telling the stories, and she's being encouraged by the children to tell one story about the trolls which she keeps saying, we'll get to that, we'll get to that, or maybe we won't. And instead, she'll go off in these tangents about clams and cougars and earthquake posters. And she eventually does come around to telling more about the trolls. Ah, it's, a, a, to me, very similar in what I said about what I loved about lizard music. I feel like the kids don't know what to believe about Aunt Sally's stories like, is that true? Could that even possibly be true? And she's very matter of fact, like, well, of course it's true. Why would I tell you if it wasn't true? And they're thinking, well, she comes from Canada. Maybe things are different in Canada. I've never been to Canada. And it just, I feel like she is keeping that imagination open with them of like, this absolutely might have happened. You, you don't know any different. And I'm a grown up and you should listen to me when I tell you this. And when did you first come across this book? I came across this book, I'd say, about seven years ago, uh, when I was reading a lot out loud with my children. We had a great time where I would pick books and I would just announce that we, this is what we were reading. Uh, my kids are 12 now, so they're not as good as accepting whatever I'm going to read they're going to enjoy. And when I picked up the trolls and I started in, I mean, they were hanging on every word. They loved it. And I would start laughing before I could even get words out. And that got them even more excited. And to this day, we quote bits of this book to each other. We consider it sort of like a family, a family story, almost like Aunt Sally had come to our house and told these stories about our relatives. We sort of absorbed them as, oh, that might have actually happened to someone in our family. We don't know. It could be. As you mentioned, Aunt Sally is sort of the person who dominates, although there are three children uh, who are characters in the book. But it's really Aunt Sally who's the, the main character in her stories. Uh, I, I don't know how you – how would you describe who is Aunt Sally and what is her – like her particular take on the world around her? Mm. Aunt Sally, well, I think she's so pleased to be meeting these children – that she hasn't had a chance to be around before. And and you do, in the very beginning, get the sense that Aunt Sally, it was uh, the, the father of the children, they're going on a trip, and he's run out of people to ask to watch the children. And then he has to ask Aunt Sally. He'd rather not. This is a sister that he doesn't want watching the children. And of course, you're intrigued. 
why doesn't he want, we want her to come and watch the children? And she's so very good with the children. Uh, she's immediately, she's not worrisome at all. She's inviting them to go through her luggage. And she is so very kind to the youngest child, Peewee, whose name is Frank, and she's the only one who will call him Frank. And uh, you get a sense that she really has a lot of kind of love to give these children. And that's that's the sense I got. And you just keep wondering why she's been sort of kept apart from them. And as, as she tells the stories of growing up, you get a sense of what the relationships you have with your family when you're a child can really affect the relationships you have with them as an adult. And I, I never saw this coming. I've reread the book like eight times. I think the very last chapter, that's sort of the moral of the story is pay attention to the relationships you have with your siblings. Um, and really, I didn't, I didn't even notice that <laughs> as, as part of the story because the weird little stories in each chapter sort of overshadowed the larger message. So I think she's, she's somebody who has some regrets of the relationships she'd had with her family growing up, even though she has all these great stories about the crazy stuff they got to do together. Um, so she has a little, a little bit of regret that she's hoping that the kids don't end up, the, these, uh, the two older sisters and the younger brother don't end up with similar difficulties when their childhood has, is over. As speaking of the stories, uh, we're introduced to a, a lot of characters. We don't actually meet them, but uh, through these stories, we meet characters. You've mentioned some like uh, Maud and Mean Little Fat Girl, and there's Great Uncle Lewis, <laughs> and of course the trolls. Did you have a particular favorite character or even story of all those um, stories that uh, Aunt Sally tells? Oh, it's so hard to choose because depending on what mood I'm in, all of them are my favorite. However, the one that really, it made me write to Polly Horvath and tell her how much I loved her uh, was the story of the clam bite, which is an early on story. And why I loved it so is it was another one of these um, stories that I found something real in it that she's talking about. Edward is, I believe it's Edward. Let me just check. Um, one of the, the children growing up, Aunt Sally, um, is the older sister to Edward. And he is um, practicing his violin because he has to take lessons. And every year he has to do a test on his violin with the Royal Academy of Music. And when I read that, I freaked out because when I was a kid, I used to have to take piano lessons where I'd be tested every year by the Royal Academy of Music. And I remember saying to my kids, oh, that's real. That's a real thing. And it's terrifying. Because uh, in in the story, in The Trolls, Edward is terrified of this test he's going to have to take. He's going to have to play scales. He's going to have to perform a piece. And they judge you and they give you a grade. And he doesn't want to do it. He's trying to practice the B-flat melodic minor scale. And I remember the B-flat melodic minor scale. And he just becomes obsessed with – he's just horrified. He thinks he can't, he can't possibly do this. He's just going to freeze up. And then – he goes and gets his finger bitten off by a clam, well, the tip of his finger. And then he doesn't have to go and do this Academy of Music test. And I, when I read that out loud to the kids, I, I, like, I think I started almost to tear up. And I looked at them and I said, oh, that's how I felt. If I had known that I could have had my 
part of my finger bit off by a clam and I wouldn't have had to take the test, I would have done it in a heartbeat. And they just looked at me like I was out of my mind. But I said, nope, she got it. The author really knew what she was talking about with that. (laughs) And was there a passage from that section you wanted to share? Oh, I would love to. So now that I've kind of given you a bit of the story, so we'll get to the part where, so the the clam, uh, he stuck his finger in it just kind of absentmindedly, and the clam clamps down. John hollers and tries to slide his finger out. I'm sorry, it's John, not Edward. It's John. John hollers and tried to slide his finger out, but the clam clamps down on the tip of his index finger and takes it right off. (gasps) Oh, that's horrible, said Amanda. You bet it's horrible, said Aunt Sally. The poor kid thinks he's going to be sick. The tip is missing, and his finger is bleeding for all it's worth. He runs up the path to our house, comes crashing through the door, crying, carrying on. And my father, your grandpa, Willie, sees his finger and says, My God, how'd this happen, boy? John cries, a clam bit me. Well, your grandpa Willie was the nicest man who ever lived. There wasn't a gentler, kinder, or better-liked man. And although usually a little vague and slow to act, he saw what some clam had done to his boy, and he saw red. He picks up the rifle that we kept for cougars and bears and rushes down, finds the clam, and shoots it. How do you know which clam it was? asked Pee-wee. Why, it was the clam with a little piece of John's finger sticking out of its mouth. And then I just wanted to skip a little ahead where um, now the the daughter who's listening to this story, I'm sure with her mouth open, she says, and no one ever stuck their finger in a clam again, said Melissa. Oh, no, everyone stuck their fingers in clams after that. Do you think John was the only child in town afraid of his music exam? Violinists headed for the beach. Pianists smeared cat food on their fingertips and headed for the cougar-filled woods, calling, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. One trumpet player was seen looking for a bear to kiss. Yes, you could always tell when it was Royal Academy exam time on Vancouver Island, because the woods and beaches were full of children trying to get their limbs bitten off. I love that part. <laughs> now, what was what struck me as reading both of these books is... Um, these are two authors who seem to write books that don't follow the usual sort of rules we think of where this is what you're supposed to do when you write a children's book, how to proceed with plot and character and conflict. They seem to make up their own rules as they're writing their books. I don't know if you got that impression as well. I feel that I agree with you. And uh, I, I, I think it may cause me problems in the future that I love them so much and this sort of story. Um, I've been so lucky working with my editor, uh, Margaret Ferguson, that she really loved Bicycle. And she just bought in hook, line, and sinker to the whole concept of this fabulous world that's slightly our reality and slightly something else. Um, But of course, she also has to answer to her publishing house that, you know, these books need to be able to be described and sold to readers. So uh, I do come up with story ideas that I think are hard to sell um, because they are hard to describe and hard to classify. But I think uh, I know how much I adore them. And I just really want to keep providing those kinds of stories to readers. Like uh, if, if I can reach a reader and have them have that same experience I had reading these books of just thinking the world is, is a more wonderful place than I ever imagined. Uh, that's, that's all I want to do with my writing. 
Well, uh, Christina, thank you so much for choosing these two books. Gave me a chance to read them. I hadn't read them before. And thank you for taking the time to talk to, to me about both of them today. Oh, thank you so much for talking with me about them. It's a lot of fun to discuss them with you. You can find Christina's website at www.christinaus.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading.